My name is Sarah Vogel. I'm 72. I'm Karen Ahrens, and I'm 52 years old. Right, so Sarah, what compelled you to fight for North Dakota farmers? It seems you could have had a a high-powered and well-paid career in Washington, D.C., or on the East Coast, but you chose to come home to North Dakota, and you became what Teddy Roosevelt described as the man or the woman in the arena, when you could have had a very different life. Tell me about that. My last job in Washington, D.C. was as special assistant to the Secretary of the Treasury, the Secretary of the Treasury. And I had an office down the hall from him, and I could eat in the Secretary's dining room. And my job was consumer affairs advisor to the Secretary of the Treasury, and my duties were to review everything the Secretary of Treasury did with the viewpoint of how it affected consumers. So that covered everybody who paid real estate taxes, everybody who went through customs, everybody who dealt with a national bank, savings bonds, you name it. So I had this enormous responsibility for consumer protection. Um, And this was all pursuant to an executive order by President Jimmy Carter. But I never, ever saw any one of those consumers. It was all in the abstract. It was all statistics. It was all numbers and percentages and data. And I grew to be just sort of long for working with real people, doing real legal work for real people. And about somewhere in there is a farmer from North Dakota came out to Washington and talked about the difficulties he was having with an agency called the Farmer's Home Administration. And I knew about the Farmer's Home Administration because the second to the last job I had in Washington, D.C., I was head of enforcement for the Equal Credit Opportunity Act at the Federal Trade Commission, where our job was to stop race, sex, marital status, discrimination, age discrimination, a host of others in the extension of credit. And one of the agencies we had jurisdiction over was the Farmers Home Administration. And out of all of the agencies, all of the lenders, all the credit cards, all the companies that we regulated, Farmers Home was the worst. (laughs) They were pretty blatant about race and sex discrimination. And so when he told me these terrible things that the Farmers Home was doing to him, I believed him. So I started working in that one case, which is at that point just a open records. I mean, trying to get his records through the Freedom of Information Act. And then he told other farmers, and they told other farmers. Then I moved back to North Dakota. Another factor was that I had a three-year-old son, and I wanted him to grow up in North Dakota, <laughs> not in a suburb of Washington. But when I got back to North Dakota, there were calls, people, farmers coming in from all over. It was from one end of the country to the other, and a bunch of them in North Dakota. And this was in the 1980s, right? Yeah, this was early 19, and, early and 1980. Some people say that we have entered into another farm crisis today in 2018. But back then, you represented these farmers during a farm crisis in the 1980s. And you were the lead attorney in Coleman versus Black, a national class action lawsuit filed on behalf of 240,000 farmers, which resulted in an injunction that prohibited the USDA from foreclosing on nearly 80,000 farm families in our state. So what was it like traveling around North Dakota, meeting with farmers and getting them to sign on to this lawsuit? 
Oh, it was an adventure. <laughs> there was a lot of driving, and they did driving into me too. They were it was tough because one of the things that the Farmers Home Administration did when they wanted to shut somebody down is they froze all their income, emptied their bank account. And then months later, they would say, you can have a hearing to see if we were right or wrong. Well, in the meantime, who could survive that? They couldn't pay for electricity. You know, there are many times when I couldn't reach my clients because their phones had been disconnected. Oh. Dairy farmers without electricity. I mean, it was bad. People who couldn't get feed for their cattle, they didn't have food. Their health insurance was being canceled. The pain of it all, I mean, I still get choked up thinking about how that all happened. And um, and that's when I remembered a case that I'd learned about in law school, which was called Goldberg versus Block. This case said that when there was a government program that provided the very means of survival to the recipients of the government program, the government could not take away those benefits without giving a constitutionally appropriate hearing in advance of the termination. And that's what the Coleman versus Block case was all about, is making the hearing on whether the government was right or wrong and whether a farmer had any defenses to the action the government was going to take, making sure that hearing happened early so that if the government was wrong, and they were wrong, that the farmer would not be starved out by the time he got he or she got a hearing. But I think your question is, what was it like? And I met so many many, many wonderful, wonderful people. And they were the ones who gave me the energy, the courage, the means, not monetary, because <laughs> they had no money. Um, but some of them would bring fish. I wasn't a vegetarian then, but they would bring fish. They could fix the car. Some of them had gas still in their, in their tanks at the farm. They did carpentry. They babysat. And then when I would get really down in the dumps, it seemed like, without fail, uh, Dwight Coleman, who was a farmer up by Dunseith, he would just call, and he'd say, Hey, Sarah, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, and I, I go, then I would remember what it was all about, and then I could go on another day or two or so. But it took a year to get that case ready to file. And when we did file it, we got a state pretty much immediate injunction, stopping all foreclosures, all freezing of income, all accelerations, all offsets of income for all of the people in North Dakota. That was about 8,500. And then in September, I was able to expand it to a national class action, and that's where we got to the 240,000 farmers, and there were 16,000 cases in court wow. that were stopped. It set up the principle that there had to be a neutral hearing officer reasons for their action, opportunity for a fair hearing, and opportunity to apply for a deferral when the farmer could show that due to circumstances beyond their control, they were unable to pay. And that had been the law since 1978. So Farmer's Home was violating numerous laws, numerous regulations, and um, the very purpose of why it had been set up by FDR in the 1930s. Yeah, it was quite the dramatic experience, and I'd say I was able to keep at it because of my clients. And I, I also had 
some great co-counsel. I wasn't doing it alone. When I decided to do the case, I reached out to my dad, who was a former Supreme Court justice and a great trial lawyer, and he gave me key advice, especially the advice to go to file it in western North Dakota to get Judge Van Sickle, who was a fair judge. One day I, I got a call from a guy by the name of Bert Newborn, who was the litigation director of the National ACLU, and he said, I hear you got quite the case. We'd like to help. And it's something I would like the farmers of this country to know, is that when they were in trouble, who came to help them? It was the ACLU. It wasn't the Farm Bureau. It wasn't the Farmers Union. It wasn't a ton of other people that should have been there. It was the ACLU because it was the Constitution. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel quite strongly about that. And then I got a, a class action lawyer whose parents were refugees from Nazi Germany, forest Jews. They'd fought in the forests of Poland, I guess. Lived came to New Jersey, started a chicken farm, and had been pushed out by some corporate grab. The lawyer's name was Alan Canner. He was only in his 20s. He'd already worked on Three Mile Island. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's gone on to become one of the most famous class action lawyers of all time. I mean, he's just amazing, amazing lawyer. So I was at a, I was at a seminar that he had spoken at, and he came over to visit. I was waiting afterwards, and he had his badge on that said he was part of the faculty. And he said, where are you from, North Dakota? Oh, I love North Dakota. He said he'd driven across the state one time. He had stopped by the side of the road because of the sunset. And then I said it was on behalf of farmers. Oh, I love farmers. My dad lost his farm. I'm in. You know, so it was like, so I had these great lawyers helping. And then there's a, when it turned into a national class action, we got a couple more lawyers that had been working on this stuff, too. So, but still, I mean, the government had, I don't know how many lawyers on their side. They had unlimited resources. We worked on that case for a long time. But yeah, we won. We won. And so at that time when you were out um, speaking with farmers, uh, at that point in your life, you had a young son. Yeah. And he came with you sometimes, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, he did. He did. Um well, there's no certainly no money for a babysitter or such like. So we, yeah, he came, he came along, and I worked out of the house, and the farmers came to the house, and they were great. One of the trips I remember in particular was Life magazine came out to do a story. This is when it was becoming popular to do stories about the farm crisis, and so there were calls coming in from kind of all over the world. And one of them was from Life magazine. They wanted to do a story about a farmer. So I would give them the names of farmers and they would go out and come back at the end of the day and then ask for another name of a farmer because that guy wasn't quite right or whatever. And then after several of those days, they asked if they could do it about me. And I said yes, because they were willing to be the driver. <laughs> so, so, so they had their rental car and wherever I needed to go, they would drive. Driving across North Dakota is very meditative time because you go over those long, slopey hills and come down and you see the, the blue sky and the clouds and the waving grain. And there's a sense of peace and tranquility that was so restorative. So after you uh, worked on these lawsuits, 
Um, you went on to run for office in North Dakota, and you were North Dakota's first and so far only female agriculture commissioner. So what surprised you the most about being that person in that position? First of all, I, I ran because I we were still having horrible, horrible agriculture problems. The wave of foreclosures had moved up the line to the federal land banks, to the land, other other lenders, and it was so so I I felt that if I were agriculture commissioner, I could do more than I could as, by that point, I was an assistant attorney general. I could do more. When I got in office, I found I loved working on things like weeds and pesticides and the finer points of dairy and <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. For somebody who likes learning about a lot of things, it was great. I should have mentioned another reason why I came back to North Dakota to work for farmers is I'd grown up in the nonpartisan league, which is almost a religion in our family. And my grandfather had been manager of the bank in North Dakota. My dad had worked in politics as a Democratic nonpartisan leaguer. When I was a kid, it was a point of religious faith that one worked for the family farmers, and family farmers were the bedrock. So when you look around North Dakota, uh, where do you see the results of your work? I see businesses that uh, I know got pace loans or egg pace loans, the big, enormous pasta plant, which is, I think, the biggest in the United States. Uh, when I see the farmer's markets, it's sort of like fulfillment of what we wanted to have happen while I was there. But it, it didn't happen then, but it is happening now. And then... Once in a while, I'll be in an airport, and somebody will come up to me, and they'll say, you saved our farm, Hmm. which is pretty cool. (laughs) People should think about running for public office. And anything else that you wanted to say that you didn't get to say yet? Um, No, I think not. This has been fun. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for all you've done.